0: Grace and peace to you, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Today's sermon was written by Dr. Siegbert Becker and was adapted uh, by me uh, for just a little bit for today's sermon. Um, So if you really enjoy it, that's all on Dr. Becker, and if you really don't enjoy it, it's all me. Um, Today's sermon is based on the words of Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, which I will now read for you. So you get four Bible readings today for the price of three. When he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. On the day Jesus ascended into heaven, his disciples asked him, are you at this time going to restore again the kingdom to Israel? Even at that late date, they were still captivated by the idea that the Messiah, who had been promised by the Jews, would be a great earthly king, a king who would set up his kingdom here in the present world. They were still making the same mistake that so many of the Jews made when they emphasized only those prophecies of the Old Testament that said the Messiah would be a great king who would rule over all his enemies, and then forgot to take note of the prophecies which spoke of the Messiah as a humble, suffering servant of the Lord who would bear the punishment men had deserved for their sins. However, before we criticize the disciples too severely for their lack of understanding, we might remember that we often make a similar mistake. We tend to emphasize the suffering and death of Jesus and pay too little attention to those passages of the Bible that tell us that he is indeed a great king, who will rule over all his enemies. When we recite the Apostles' Creed, we are all conscious of how important it is for us that we can say, he suffered under Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. But are we always conscious of the importance of the words, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty? sometimes, I wonder, and you may as well, what the Bible wants, us to, wants to say to us when it tells us that the Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Even if that has never been a problem for you, it won't, do, it won't do any of us harm to review the significance of Christ sitting at the right hand of God. When our text tells us that Christ sits at the right hand of God, it uses what we call figurative language. We know that God does not have a right hand in bones. He is a spiritual being, and as such, he has no body. Yet the Bible often speaks of God in such figurative language. It speaks of God's eyes to teach us that God sees everything that happens in this world. It speaks of God's ears to remind us that he can hear our prayers, that he in fact hears everything that happens in this world. It speaks of God's mouth to make it clear to us that God can communicate with us. In the same way, the Bible also speaks of the right hand of God to remind us that God is active in this world, that his almighty power is an operating power, a working force in this world of ours. When the Bible says, for example, that God saved the children of Israel out of Egypt with a mighty hand, his hand there clearly includes all the great things he did to force Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go out of captivity. God's right hand is therefore not a special place far, far away somewhere in the sky. God's hand is everywhere where his power is active. And since God sustains and governs everything in the whole universe, we say with Martin Luther and the Lutheran confessions that God's right hand is everywhere. When we therefore say that Jesus is sitting at God's right hand, that does not mean that he is sitting on a throne of gold and silver somewhere up in the sky. Since God's right hand is everywhere, Jesus, our brother, who is a man like us, but who is also at the same time true God, is also everywhere. Our text tells us this when it says that he fills everything in every way. And he made that very clear in a concrete way when he told his disciples to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and then promised Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. No matter how far away the disciples went from the Mount of Olives, no matter how widely they were scattered, Jesus, who is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, was with them. When Thomas went to India, as church history tells us he did, Jesus was with him there. When Matthew went to Babylon, Jesus was with him there. When Paul went to Spain, and Peter to Cappadocia, and other disciples to Africa, Jesus was with them all the time. And we can be sure that he is with us in this church this morning, for he has told us, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And he is also with our fellow Christians gathered in their churches this morning, just as surely as Jesus is with us. And when we pray in our homes, come Lord Jesus, be our guest we can be sure that he is there also. Now, Jesus sitting at the right hand of God not only means that he is present everywhere, but also that he is in complete charge everywhere. Our text tells us, God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. You could hardly think of a more emphatic way of saying that Jesus is in complete charge of everything that is going on in this world. Peter echoes this same thought when he writes, He is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and power, powers in submission to him. Already the Old Testament had predicted that this would happen to Christ and also explained what this would mean. In Psalm 110, God says to the promised Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This thought of the psalmist is repeated in our text when it says that all things have been put under his feet. This too is figurative language, but we have no difficulty in understanding it. If his enemies are his footstool, if all things are put under his feet, That clearly means that he has perfect power and total control over all his enemies, that his enemies can do nothing that he does not permit. The text not only says that all things are put under his feet, but also that he is head over all things. That is also clear language. We talk about the head of a company or the head of a country, and by that we mean the person who is in charge, the person who is in control of that company or country, and by that, uh, the person who gives the orders. And expects them to be carried out. Therefore, when the Bible tells us that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, it clearly means that he has taken over complete control of the universe, that he has been given a position of authority and rule over all things, that he is indeed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Matthew Bridges set the meaning of Christ's sitting at the right hand of God before us in a beautiful way. When he wrote, and as we'll sing in a bit, Crown him the Lord of heaven, enthroned in worlds above. Crown him the King to whom is given this wondrous name of love. Crown him with many crowns, as thrones before him fall. Crown him, ye kings, with many crowns, for he is King of all. We should take note that this can only be said about the human nature of Jesus. As God, Jesus did not take over the rule of the world when he sat at the right hand of the Father. As God, he has always had complete control and almighty power from all eternity. When the Bible, therefore, says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, that can only mean that as man, as the son of Mary, as our own flesh and blood, our brother, he now rules in heaven. We Christians in this world are in a position very much like that of the children of Israel in Egypt, when they came to that strong land and found that their brother, whom they had sold into slavery but who still loved them, was now Pharaoh's right-hand man, who ruled over all of Egypt, and to whom Pharaoh himself had said that no man or beast in Egypt was to move a hand or a foot without Joseph's permission. What did that mean to the children of Israel? It meant that they were well taken care of in Egypt, even though it was a foreign land where they were not citizens. They got to settle in the best part of Egypt. They received their food free of charge during all the years of famine, even though the Egyptians had to buy back the grain that they had paid as taxes. The children of Israel profited very much from the fact that their brother Joseph was sitting at Pharaoh's right hand. That should remind us that Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God, does not only mean that he is everywhere, not only that he is in complete charge of all things in heaven and on earth, but also means that we are going to be well taken care of in this world, which is not our home. Our text reminds us of this when it says that God appointed him to be head over everything for the church. He rules over everything for the benefit of the church. The church here does not mean some visible organization on this earth. The church that is spoken of here is the invisible church, the communion of saints as we call it in the Apostles' Creed. This church is the people of God, which consists of all those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, who believe that their sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done for them. As members of the invisible church, we not only know that Jesus has taken away all our sins, but we also know that this Savior, who loved us enough to die for us, who was willing to suffer shame and death in order to pay the debt that we owed to God, in order to take away the punishment that our sins had deserved, this same Savior, who was willing to do all of that for us, is now the supreme ruler over all things in heaven and earth, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Those who know that and believe it can also be sure, as St. Paul says, that all things will work together for their good. It is not always easy to believe this. When we see false teachers able to lead people away from the truth. When Christians have to suffer the consequences of depression and inflation together with the rest of mankind when wicked men can violate international law without being punished it is sometimes a little difficult to believe that the lord jesus is really in charge but we need to remember that the faith that faith is being sure about what we do not see just because we do not see clear evidence of jesus being in control we need to believe it all the more firmly god tells us that our savior our brother our Redeemer is Lord over all things and that he rules the world for the benefit of his church. That ought to be a real comfort to us when everything seems to be going wrong because it can make us sure that in the end, everything will come out right. We can be completely sure of that. Amen. Please stand. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.